In the mid-1800s, the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard wrote, This is what is sad when one contemplates human life, that so many live out their lives in quiet loneliness. They live, as it were, away from themselves and vanish like shadows. Their immortal souls are blown away like dust, and they are not disquieted by the question of its immortality because they are already disintegrated before they die. Welcome to the Soul Podcast. I'm Stacy Wheeler. This is the last episode in the introduction. If you're starting here, go back seven episodes. Start from the beginning. I think you'll enjoy the ride, and I know you'll learn something you didn't know. The first eight episodes set the stage for everything else we'll talk about. When we see how long we've been aware of the soul spirit, we understand that this thing we're feeling isn't unique to ourselves or to a small group of meditators or chanters. This soul is in all of us. If you've had your soul reunion, you already understand. If you haven't, keep setting aside silent moments with yourself. It'll come. There was a change happening in Europe. Religious freedom was becoming something more than a rallying cry. New churches based on Christianity were being formed as people broke away from the Catholic Church. But for many, if not most, the soul was still seen as a fixture of religion. But some philosophers were looking at it from a more universal perspective. In the opening quote, Kierkegaard speaks of the disconnection between the soul and how that disconnection leaves us feeling alone, though that immortal part of us is always with us. Other voices will emerge as well. And you know, something wonderful happens. Scientists and scholars begin to find themselves drawn to the question of the soul. I love this part of the story, because it was this was a reminder that the soul isn't a religious or spiritual question, it's a universal matter. It's becoming clear. And you'll see what I mean when we take a look at some of the great scientific minds who are starting to think this way. Carl Gustav Jung was a young protege of Sigmund Freud. He was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded the practice of analytical psychology. Through studying psychology, he continued to run into something in the human spirit he could not offer a scientific explanation for. For a while, he sometimes called it consciousness, and at times consciousness and the soul became interchangeable in his writings. Jung saw that there was part of all of us that was scientifically undeniable, yet unexplainable through the scientific process. This was the soul. After much work with patients, he also saw that when patients are able to lean into the truth of their soul, there was great opportunity for growth and expansion. And he acknowledged that this work was not easy and that people are avoidant when led to it. Jung said, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And Jung understood a soul reunion required difficult work. He wrote, There is no coming to consciousness without pain. This was the early 20th century, and we see intellectuals again start to connect with the topic of the soul. Jung was primarily interested in studying behavior quirks, much of it associated with the ego. Since the ego is the developed outer self and the soul is the inner self, it's not possible to look deeply at one without encountering the other. Jung didn't start with the intention of studying the soul. But in studying the nature of the human psyche, he could not avoid it. There it was, on the other side of the ego. We are at the time of our birth a perfect soul, untouched by the world. As time goes on, we learn to do what needs to be done to get along in the world. Jung understood that the ego was a veil obscuring the soul. The ego is a coping mechanism which helps us get by in this world, so it's useful and needed for survival. 
let's look at how the ego works against this whole connection. A simplified way of looking at how the ego is formed goes like this. As babies, we let our parents know when we need to be held, fed, or changed through the only language that we know, which at the time is crying. And at times, we feel abandoned when our cries go unheard. Adaptations begin to form. As we grow, we're enculturated as we learn to fit in and act in a specific way that our society and parents feel is normal. We set our expectations and behaviors based on our experiences. Our experiences cause us to change the way we relate to the world, and the ego becomes more solidified. Through each of these changes, we become less and less connected to our core beings as we draw a curtain between the true light of our souls and the world we've had to learn to live in. Eventually, we forget our soul is there. We begin to believe that we are, in fact, our personality, or what Jung called the ego construct. In the Red Book, Liber Primus, when Jung wrote, So I had to speak to my soul as to something remote and unknown that does not exist by me, but by whom I exist. He was speaking about recognizing that he is not his ego. And in seeing this, he's able to come back to his core self. This is the journey we must all make in order to have a soul reunion. We must retrieve our birthright, which is pure joy, found only in connecting with our soul. As time goes on, we see other great thinkers of the 20th century continue this trend. Intellectuals, academics, and scientists will draw conclusions about the nature of the soul. In many cases, this is not where their research began, but where it led. The soul is universal, so it's natural that any study of the psyche, nature, or the universe would eventually lead a researcher of any nationality or any culture to ponder the soul. And some of the great intellectuals of the 20th century found themselves colliding with the idea of the soul while exploring questions they felt were completely unrelated to it. As a personal note, I have to say, I love this. We think of scientists as being all logic. They want to see the evidence. They want to prove things or disprove them. The soul is so universal that great scientific minds found their way back to the idea of the soul with no intention of doing so. And many of them found it scientifically unexplainable, yet nonetheless undeniable. And you'll see, some of them aren't so surprised by this. The soul is truly part of all of us. Even the greatest scientific minds find their way back to it. One example is Einstein. At some point, the great physicists started to embrace the idea that there is more to us than just the body, and more to spiritualism than God. Einstein wrote about this, and he said, It is very difficult to elucidate this feeling to anyone who is entirely without it. The religious geniuses of the ages have been distinguished by this kind of religious feeling, which knows no dogma and no God conceived in man's image, so that there can be no church whose central teachings are based on it. In my view, it is the most important function of art and science to awaken this feeling and keep it alive in those who are receptive to it. Einstein was passionate about this. He said the most important function of art and science was to awaken this feeling and keep it alive in those who are receptive to it. The most important function of art and science. This coming from one of the great scientific minds of our time. Now you'll also notice the word consciousness starts to take place of the word soul in many of these discussions. This is likely because soul has become synonymous with religion. Consciousness became a convenient word for scientists to use in order to approach the topic and avoid sounding religious or coming to any conclusions right off the top. Max Planck, who won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1918, said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. 
We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything that we talk about, everything that we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. Now, in case you're not familiar with the word postulate, it means to suggest or assume the existence of, the fact, the truth of something. So what Max Planck was saying was everything that we talk about, everything we regard as existing within science, suggests the existence of consciousness. That's pretty big, especially coming from a Nobel Prize winner. And it seems Planck was starting to see this consciousness inside us as being outside us as well. When speaking about the atom, it was clear he felt intelligent design must have been involved in the creation of matter when he wrote, We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Jung also felt that there was a component related to our souls that projects to the outer self, which leads us to doubt our own mortality. Though we know on a logical level that we're wrong, there's something in all of us that seems to somehow feel we will not die. Logical minds might suggest that this is an adaptation to deal with our fear of death or our inability to know for sure what happens after we die. But is it? Is it more than that? Jung concluded, Of course, it's quite obvious that we're all going to die, but this is the sad finale of everything. But nevertheless, there's something in all of us that doesn't believe it, apparently. That's three men of science who embrace the mystical soul. Do you think that's odd? Well, they weren't alone. Erwin Schrodinger, who won the Nobel Prize in 1933 in physics, found unexplainable things in his research, and he was drawn to Eastern religions to understand the soul in the sense of the God inside. He wrote, This life of yours, which you are living, is not merely a piece of this entire existence, but in a certain sense, the whole. Only this whole is not so constituted that it can be surveyed in a single glance. This, as we know, is what the Brahmins expressed in that sacred mystic formula, which is yet so simple and yet so clear. Tatvam asi. This is you. Or again, in such words as, I am the east, I am the west, I am above, I am below. I am this entire world. In case you're not familiar with the word Brahmins, these were wise men and priests of the Vedic tradition. The Buddhist and Hindu religions have been examining and theorizing on the soul longer than any other religion that currently exists. And of course, they put a great emphasis on connecting to it through meditation. Moving to another great voice, Werner Heisenberg, the German physicist who won the Nobel Prize in Physics the year before Schrodinger, also saw many things in science that were baffling, and he found answers in unexpected places. He said, After the conversations about Indian philosophy, some of the ideas of quantum physics that had seemed so crazy suddenly made much more sense. The soul was coming into view for Heisenberg. The list of great thinkers who champion the idea of the soul or found answers in the Eastern religion goes on and on. I could do three or more episodes on this, but I think, you know, you can kind of see what I'm getting at already. You can't look at the deepest parts of science without seeing that there is something mystical and unexplainable, which leads well-educated people to suggest that there's more to us than just the body and the ego. Around the same time, men of deep religious faith were finding the same answers. Gandhi saw a personal God in all of us. He was talking about the soul when he said, I'm endeavoring to see God through service to humanity, for I know that God is neither in heaven nor down below, but in everyone. At the beginning of the 20th century, we were fortunate enough to have great thinkers both on the religious side and the scientific side, questioning ideas that led them to look at the possibility of the soul, or champion the idea of the soul. 
Their words and thoughts opened the gate to the spiritual rebirth that has begun in the world. People are now starting to again discover this thing that has been rediscovered throughout the ages. When I began this eight-part series on the history of the soul, I told you it was important to go through all of this to understand the soul, at least our personal relationship to it through history. The soul is something that has been here in our consciousness for more than 70,000 years. At the beginning of these eight episodes, we went way, way back, and we saw how people burying their dead understood the idea of the immortality of us all. That even though the body was gone, that the person would live on somehow. There is something deep within us, or maybe it's right on the surface and we just ignore it. But we all seem to understand, and have always understood, that we are a perfect soul. That there's more to us than this body. And it seems that all we have to do is get ourselves out of the way in order to see it. And if history has shown us anything, it's the most consistent way of doing that. We can sit silently, we can pray, we can meditate, we can chant, or we can just be in nature. The key is being silent with ourselves and allowing that deeper part of us to come to the surface. When it does, don't be surprised if it brings tears to your eyes. Jumping way forward here, coming into the finish line, we land on today, or at least modern history. In looking at history, it's clear that many religions have tried to connect themselves to the idea of the soul, yet the soul is not the possession of any religion. It has a long history of being personal and sacred to each person. Thousands of religions have come and gone, yet the human connection to the soul remains. It has drawn poets, philosophers, scientists, and religious scholars to the same activity, the pondering of the nature of the soul. There's been a lot of disagreement about what the soul is and what happens to it after death. There seems to be much less argument over whether it exists. From Paleolithic times to the modern world, we all seem to understand a simple truth. We're not alone in here. Beneath our ego construct is our eternal soul. Thousands of religions and gods have come and gone, but the idea of the soul appears universal and eternal. Have you sat silently with your soul today? Well, you hung in there through eight whole episodes about the history of the soul. Thank you. We've laid the groundwork for better understanding, and I hope that you've learned something you didn't know when we began. Now, if you've listened to all eight episodes, you can see how far back this all goes. You saw how we've always known there is an immortal part of us. You saw how it was so important to Stone Age people that they carved this thought into stone pillars. The idea that we survive the death of the body. You saw how the earliest written languages had stories about the soul and immortality. You witnessed how people for thousands of years before the modern age have connected to that deeper part of themselves through practices that involved sitting quietly. And you witnessed the dark ages where the church tried to claim to be the lone protector of the soul and literally killed people who challenged them. And now into the modern age. We went from priests and mystics of ancient times that believed in the soul. And that led to some of the greatest minds of the 20th century agreeing that there is something more to us than just this body. And this is the point where it all takes off. Something is shifting in the world. We're coming into a new awakening after hundreds of years. We're rediscovering this deep, sacred part of ourselves. And we're seeing that when we reunite with it, with that inner spirit, it becomes undeniable. And what a feeling that reunion leaves us with. The sensation is a combination of beauty, bliss, love, empathy, and so much more. Moving forward from this episode, 
we'll look at ways to connect with the soul self and strengthen the connection to that mystical passenger that is you. So what do you say? Are you in? Join me for the next episode, will you? Thank you for listening to The Soul Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, learned something new, or were just entertained, please tell your friends about the show and hit that follow button. This is the best way for other people to find the show. Check the show notes for links to supporting information as well as any books or other reading material related to this episode.